From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Candy, only on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go, 5 o'clock hour. Uh, much to get to. We were just talking about the quarterfinals of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Uh, they're not all set yet as Fresno is trying to play its way in against a New Mexico team that, frankly, is playing out the string with Paul Weir, but Candy, hell of a job. Hell of a job so far by uh, Paul Weir and company. It's 31-30, three and a half minutes left in the first half. Fresno with the uh, small lead against New Mexico. Uh, Rebels advance today, 80-52 to against Air Force. Big victory with lots of uh, good three-point shooting, even better defense. They were 9 of 17 the Rebels were from the line, and Air Force was 2 of 18. I, You know what? I'd have to look back at the numbers. I don't know if there was a game this year outside of the two against whatever they were, NAIA teams, where you walk out of the game and you're like, yep, Rebels were plus 21 from behind the arc because it felt like in a lot of games when you're sitting there doing the math, you're like, how do you win games when you're minus 18, minus 21, minus 24 when it comes to the three-point arc? The thing that actually got me diving into the stats during that game was looking and saying, when did UNLV have a laugher this year, right? And other than those NAIA games, they had one game earlier against New Mexico, the first game against New Mexico that you could say they probably had one like that and and one against San Jose, right? And those are two of the worst teams in the country. So I think that was really the most encouraging part of the whole thing, if you take it from a macro level, is that UNLV got to do this comfortably. And you and I talked about this Hamilton and Jenkins probably in there a little longer than we would have liked, uh, but still did not have to play the last five minutes and really didn't have to tax either guy. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. I think from the outside looking in, this is a tremendous day for the NHL. You tell me, as a casual Anytime you're inking a deal with ESPN, that's a massive thing for a sport. Am I wrong? Did they get a bad deal here? This is a fantastic deal, and Ari can attest. I saw this deal pop up during Tuesday's show and immediately sent him the NHL on ESPN theme song, which I will randomly go back and listen to on YouTube from time to time because, yes, that's who I am. Uh, And I'm so excited to see the NHL finally get the platform back because as the mountain west can tell you all about when you don't have that espn platform nobody knows who you are you talked a few minutes ago about the fact that brian dutcher might leave for minnesota because no matter what he does he's he's fighting to get a six or seven seed well in part that's because nobody can find unlv's games cbs sports network before they streamed really this is the first year cbs sports networks even bothered to stream fs1 finally gives them a little better exposure so yeah i think when you look at this deal for the nhl four of the next seven stanley cup finals are going to be broadcast either on espn or abc and i think it's going to be fantastic that you no longer have to search around in your basic cable package for NBC Sports Network, CNBC, USA, and all the other random places that NBC was stashing the most fun playoffs on earth. So hockey's back. The NHL's back with uh, ESPN. As Candy mentioned, uh, one of the big details, seven-year deal. Uh, half of the Stanley Cup Finals, well, check that, four of seven years, uh, ABC has the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, half of the playoffs will be on ABC and ESPN each season. 
Uh, you've got 25 exclusive national regular season games on ESPN or ABC. 75 national uh, regular season games will stream exclusively on both ESPN Plus and Hulu, which I don't know what your streaming companies of choice are, but right now I'm in that fold, so I kind of like that. Is Hulu a bad choice? No, I don't think Hulu's a bad choice at all. I Actually, you want to talk about access. I'm someone who signed up for Spotify Premium and then one day got an email from Spotify that was like, uh, hey, by the way, we're throwing Hulu in for free. Oh, cool. Sounds good. So, yeah, if we're going to talk about what we did earlier, which is old guys like us not being able to work technology to find a basketball game that's on streaming, good on the NHL reaching out to people who are streamers to yep. find them with the content. Yeah, and today was a little frustrating with UNLV with with the Mountain West Network, which, come on, this is ridiculous. It's the website. Uh, I don't mind. Like, I actually think one of the best things about being with ESPN is that they archive so many of their games. And you mentioned that you mentioned FS1 and CBS. Like, like where is the stuff? There's no archives of anything. Um, so I, I think that's a big deal. So good for the NHL. Back in the fold with ESPN, and then there's all the other things ESPN can do for you. And by the way. Everyone out there, and you know who you are, who wants to be a smartass over the last couple of years, who's like, ESPN, that's still a thing? If you're a hockey fan and you said that, up yours. Because you're going to find out it's a thing because it's going to make your life a lot more pleasant. So, yes, ESPN is still a thing. Now, personally, do I sit and watch the Talking Head shows every day? Am I a guy who watches SportsCenter? I do not. But if you are trying to watch live freaking sports, yes, ESPN is still a thing. And when you're not on it, you're in the freaking hinterlands. It sucks. Totally sucks. Next up. Number four. Oh, I had to do that. Good news, Candy. Here we go. It's all beginning, baby. It's all beginning. Baseball. If you want to go to Rangers games, and I assume this will be the case for the Astros. News out. Major League Baseball season kicking off here in about three weeks. 100% capacity. For the Texas Ranger games. Woo-hoo. Let's do it. Yeah, you ready? You're going, uh, you're going, you're going no mask, right? Because I don't think they're going to let you in if you have one. No, no. It's actually the opposite. Everyone has to wear a mask. No, no. I think by the time this gets here, it's not going to be that way at all. No, no. Do you, no, no. You, re- you really think in three weeks they'll say, you know what? No mask. Well, they're hey. not going to. They're not going to. You're, you're kidding. They're not going to restrict you from wearing a mask. Right now, everyone Steve. is supposed to wear a mask in a full stadium. Steve, the Attorney General of Texas today told the city of Austin that if it did not remove any mask mandates that it had, he was going to sue the city of Austin. The Attorney General of the state was going to sue them to make sure that their mask mandates were gone. And hey, I mean, look, it's not like Texas has had 2.71 million COVID cases. It's not like they've had 45,000 people die. So go ahead. Open it back up for everybody. Why be smart about it? Just throw the doors open. Let people come have a big COVID fiesta at a Rangers game and see where it goes. Does everything have to be a political pissing match on social media? Do we have to score points and pick a side on every freaking thing? Suing the city of Austin? And and why? Is, what do we think the roots of that are, Candy? That maybe, maybe Austin leans a little different way than hmm. the Attorney General? Austin is slightly different politically than uh, than the rest of the state. That uh, that is accurate information. Yeah, I don't think it'll get to the point that Candy's mentioning, where if you want to wear a mask, they're going to tackle you and tase you. Right now, they're going to have full capacity. Uh, masks are required, but as Candy pointed out, maybe in the state of Texas, they'll 
there'll be a push that it's optional. And then at that point, you'd have to make the decision. If you're, I guess if you're vaccinated, you've had both of the vaccines and you feel safe being around people without mask on, then that's your choice. But uh, 100% capacity, it looks like for Rangers games at Globe Life Field for opening day. Yeah, and, and to put a bow on this from my end, it was a great uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson video today. It will only take you 30 seconds to watch in which Neil deGrasse Tyson, the famed scientist, says that if you're going to do things like Texas did and say nobody has to wear a mask, no mask mandates, it's 100% open, he said it is akin for the sake of the country to saying you have a swimming pool and you're going to have a peeing section. <laughs> Good job. One of your heroes. I like it. Solid. Number three. Uh, Dak Prescott. Press conference today. $160 million deal. 75 in his first year. $126 million guaranteed. Uh, he joked about his health. Um, he walked to the stage without a limp. He actually said, I thought about jogging out here and jumping on the stage, but I didn't think y'all would be ready for that. He says, I'm healthy. And um, he also pointed to a guy like Alex Smith, the former Chiefs and football team quarterback, as a great example, helped motivate him, gave him hope in coming back from his injury. He said that allowed my mind to go uh, straight to, I can do this, I can beat this. And uh, listen, I don't know if he's beat it, but he beat the Cowboys and he's got his money, $126 million guaranteed. Uh, now, what about what we were discussing a little bit with uh, Caleb Herring, who was on last hour, Candy, this push by a lot of people who are like, no, Tom Brady, man, never took the most money. That's why he wins Super Bowls. Is that fair to Dak Prescott? Not in the slightest. Dak Prescott is responsible for Dak Prescott and Dak Prescott only. And that's why when we talk to Mark McMillan and we talk to former athletes and we ask them, is there going to be a problem in the locker room if a guy holds out for a contract? universally 100% of the time they say of course not it's business he's got to take care of his business no player will ever be upset at another player for that and I don't think we as fans should be upset at players saying that they should do more for the sake of the franchise for the sake of the team it's the team's responsibility the owners are the one who put the salary cap in the players didn't say well every team is only going to make so much uh, money available for salary they're operating within the constraint, and it's their job to get as much money as they can from the team for doing their job. What about this one? I think it's a franchise quarterback's responsibility to marry up in terms of wealth. Tom Brady mm, did it. Yeah. Tom Brady did it. Why can't Dak do it? And look, Tom Brady was clear about how he was doing this for his team because if you remember, he was with the actress Bridget Moynihan. Uh, and let's be honest, Bridget Moynihan is on basic tv right she's on blue bloods like come on blue bloods doesn't pay the bills for the new england patriots so tom brady knew he had to go get a little more money in his pocket so that he could afford to give some back to new england boom giselle do it that way net worth research ari bridget moynihan giselle bunjin what do you think no your mic doesn't need to open do you know this off the top of your head I was looking as we were speaking. Twenty-five million for Bridget. Twenty-five million. Oh, twenty-five million. You can't get a Julian Edelman for that. <laughs> wow, you guys are harsh. 
Well, that's what we're talking about. And that people ignore is the fact that, yeah, Brady can take less money every freaking year. And I still believe the Patriots promised him something down the road. But he can take less money every freaking year. His wife is worth like $500 million. What about 400, $400 million? And by the way, smart Jeez. move. You can go, if you can go 16x on your second wife's worth, good job. Uh, but Dang. do we hear this about Russell Wilson, by the way? Should Russell Wilson be giving back money because Sierra is rich? I don't know. Here's the thing. If you look up Sierra net worth, I mean, I think she's probably worth more than $25 million. 20? I mean, Russell Wilson might have to get a divorce. Oh, man. Who, who should be next? Uh, by the way, is this piggish talk, or does the opposite gender do this at times? You know what? The ridiculous part about all of this is just if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, why are these guys talking about multimillionaires and whether they should give back money? Just think about how ridiculous it is that we know what athletes' salaries are in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Right? Imagine what it would be like in any other workplace if we knew what everybody in the building made. It would be anarchy every single day. If we knew what every one of our colleagues made, can I stay on this storyline though? Because I, I was I was thinking about this uh, just the other day when I saw you know marrying up, um, you know marrying down, not to rip anybody, you know keeping your your net worth in mind, your level of comfort in mind. Uh, Brady and Bunjin are also like real estate moguls, so they've made even more money doing that. Did you see that uh, Bezos's wife got remarried to a teacher? Now, in the first, it just happened in the in in this first year of their relationship, um, she was also very charitable. She gave away seven billion dollars. When you're a teacher and your girlfriend is coming out of a Bezos marriage, and she got, I think she got like a hundred and forty billion dollars. Do you even get any input on what charities the money goes to? Like, you know how cheap I am? I'd be like, whoa, 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 eight hundred million. So who? What sort of power do you have in a marriage in terms of deciding where the money goes? Um, as the guy, as the guy, like you're 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 a teacher. Yeah, you're 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 a teacher who probably. I, I would think he probably had to be in a prenup just to be in the girlfriend boyfriend relationship. You probably don't get even that close to the money without signing something. I hadn't thought of the prenup. All right. More research for Ari or the assistant producer to the producer, Brady, one of our listeners to do. Was there a prenup with the uh, the Bezos X and this new guy? You know what? I think I believe you have the Law and Sporter podcast uh, coming up. Uh, you got to talk to Justin Watkins about this. I mean, does she really love the guy or not? I don't, I don't see any right. need for a prenup. Did she, has she donated to his school or not? Is that really love? If you haven't bought all the supplies mm. for the classroom with your Amazon Bezos money, do you really care about him in the first place? By the way, doesn't this go back to, we had a question on the podcast one night. Uh, if, if, uh, if you won Powerball, you know, what would you do? And I swear without hesitation, my first answer, and I got laughed out of the, the room, out of the podcast. My first answer was, you know, if I won Powerball, I think I would actually, I'd go off the air and I'd do a little more sales. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? You would start dabbling more in radio sales? I was like, yeah, I didn't really think that through. Where did that even come from, Cofield? I, I don't I don't I don't know, but it, I just thought of it now because you're like, what, did, did she donate to his classroom? He is he, is he gonna be teaching still? 
After marrying oh. into like $140 billion? Oh, well, if we get to if we get to married, that might be a whole different story. But don't you think there's going to be, uh, what, what do we call it during the terrorism days, the Patriot Act days, extreme vetting? Don't you think there's going to be some extreme vetting of, uh, of the new Mr. Bezos? It could be. It could be. I want to follow up on this uh, in the grab bag. Next up. Number two. Easy question to answer, right? Injuries in sports, we usually get a definitive timeline. Candy, the Knights are dealing with injuries with uh, Petrangelo, so how long is he out? Uh, somewhere between two and 36 weeks. <laughs> this always cracks Was me up. Was that not specific enough for you? It, just, it cracks me up with the NHL and, and VGK. Um, yeah, uh, Pete DeBoer said um, it's not a great sign that Petrangelo returned home for evaluation. I'm not concerned that it's long, long term, but it, he's definitely out for the foreseeable future. I have no idea. And by the way, I think, to you, be clear I, I, with I think you just nailed it. Two to 36 weeks. I th- <laughs> and to be clear <laughs> with everybody, you did not add a second long in there. That's exactly what Pete DeBoer said. Not out oh, yeah. for a quote, long, long time. By the way, uh, midway through the game right now, VGK and Minnesota tied up at one. Uh, both goals scored within the first minute of the game. So no Petrangelo tonight. Uh, no Will Carrier either for the Golden Knights. And look, I, Steve, you know this as an East Coast guy. Hockey started this entire trend back in the playoffs years ago. Of We're not telling you anything about the injury. Upper body injury, lower body injury. Yeah. right? We found out finally that Robin Lehner, who had been day-to-day for about the last six weeks or so it felt, uh, is finally going to get some conditioning run with the Henderson Silver Knights, assuming that their COVID situation gets worked out. But yeah, I mean, the, the NHL is ridiculous in the first place. And we know that Adam Hill has told us repeatedly, if VGK says day to day, it's week to week. If they say week to week, it's month to month. Number one. So give me your take on uh, Big Trent going bye-bye and what this or where this leaves the Raiders with that right side of the line. So... Let's start with how Trent Brown ended up out of here in the first place, because I think it's important to cover that part of the story. The narrative that seemed to be going out there yesterday from some of the beat writers and even from uh, from our guest Q Myers was that, well, Trent Brown just wasn't available enough, wasn't on the field enough. Um, we know at the beginning of this season, there was some discussion of the calf injury. He wasn't in there. It took forever for him to get on the field, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason that I'm really uncomfortable with that storyline is that when the dude was ready to get back on the field, he ended up having a medical emergency where the team doctor screwed up so badly that they had to put him in an ambulance. Like, let's not drag the guy for his availability when part of that lack of availability goes back to the fact that they put the guy's life in jeopardy in the locker room. So that part of the story bothers funny, me. It, it, that is funny that uh, a lot of the fans who have, uh, celebrated that Trent Brown was gone and, you know, get on him about conditioning and being lazy and not being driven. Uh, we, we forget to mention that part. Uh, that yeah, that I mean, wasn't all his fault. Right, because Mike Mayock went out there in his uh, interview last week and said, well, Trent needs to be healthy and ready. You know, Mike Mayock should be the last person getting out there and putting out that kind of narrative on Trent Brown. You want to say that it didn't work out and you're moving on from him? Great. Okay, you're moving on from him. And when it comes to rebuilding the right side of that line, they have issues right now that they have made of their own creation, and it makes it feel to me 
like this is going to be one of those robbing Peter to pay Paul situations where they create the hole on the offensive line to try to fix their edge rushing situation, to try to fix their cornerback situation. And then we're looking in the middle of this year and saying, wait a minute, did they really think that John Simpson was going to be able to hold down a spot on the offensive line? Did they really think that Roland Denzel good out there for 16 games was going to get the job done? So look for the Raiders. Obviously, there are issues that have to be addressed on both sides of the ball. The Trent Brown situation clearly had run its course. It's just that. Do you trust this front office of Gruden and Mayock to use the cap space wisely that they've created? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Extra pass, Wood, Hamilton, nothing but net. In rhythm, 29-16 now with baseline jumper Tillis. 19-2 run, timeout Joe Scott. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. We're going to a little upset brewing at the Midwest Conference Tournament. The last game of the first round is New Mexico up one, going to the second half against Fresno State. So, uh, still looking for that last team that'll be in the quarterfinals. You hear the call from Nate Kreckman there as uh, Devin Tillis with a baseline jumper and uh, Good game from Bryce Hamilton. Really efficient in scoring his 18. He was 8 of 13. So we're following stories around the conference, Candy, and obviously the number one story pressing story right now is how many bids will they get to the NCAA tournament? Colorado State and Boise State are first four. Check that. Last four in, first four out includes Utah State. You do realize in, I don't know, let's say two weeks, There could be five open jobs in the Mountain West Conference. Iowa State, I would think, is moving on from Steve Prom. I think the head coaches at UNLV, Colorado State, and Utah State will all be under consideration for that one. I can't imagine John Prelo has another year at San Jose State. So that's job two. New Mexico, the job is open. We know that already. That's job three. Brian Dutcher is going to have a hell of a time turning down Minnesota. Right now, the uh, Gophers down in the uh, Big Ten first round. Last check was Northwestern 46-40. Frankly, doesn't I – mean, I guess if Minnesota – boy, I wonder how many Minnesota fans are like, if they make a run to the – if they actually won the Big Ten tournament title and got a bid and Richard Patino stays around, I wonder how many would say, you know what, I'll trade this year for the future. It looks like Patino could go. And actually a mini run there by Minnesota. They're up one now on Northwestern. But regardless of the result here, Patino could go. So that means San Diego State could be open. And then what would happen at San Diego State? Would they just look up north in California and go, you know what? We're going to bring back our old assistant in Justin Hudson. And that would, uh, I guess, fill one opening, but essentially make five jobs open. Fresno State would be open. Interesting season of much tumult could be on the way. All right, so let's take the obvious one out of the equation with San Diego State because that by far is the team that is going to be the easiest to recruit to. It is the program with the most pedigree in terms of basketball in 2021. What's the next best job there? Well, that's a long pause. Ari's freaking out. 
Ari's like, I don't like when you guys think. Well, we don't do it very often. <laughs> uh, I think I would like to say UNLV, but this is not an easy job. And based on the turnarounds of both Utah State and Colorado State and the money around both of those programs, those are good jobs. And I actually, I still believe the New Mexico job, it's going to be a hell of a rebuild. And it's going to it's going to require someone to come in early and act like uh, Musselman did at Reno and just transfer, transfer, transfer. The New Mexico job is a good job. The school doesn't have money right now um, and probably won't for a while. But of all the fan bases, the New Mexico fan base will be back pretty quick if New Mexico shows any signs of life. I mean, clearly the problem here is every year that the Rebels, and this year was a killer because you know because of COVID and fans weren't allowed in, every year that UNLV is short of expectations with a major league hockey team here, you know, major league franchise and a hockey team and the Raiders, it just puts them further behind the eight ball for that next coach. Because, And I'm not saying Ots is going anywhere because I, I have no idea if he'll be offered the job. I don't know if he wants a job at Iowa State. But the like the folks who take the UNLV job have to understand that rebuilding the fan base and getting 10,000 plus in there again is a freaking massive part and a hard part of this job. Really difficult. It will be far, far easier to get 15,000 people back into the pit than yep. 15,000 people back into the Mac. That fan base is a fan base that is dying for that team to be good again. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios. Catch it, bring it, pay it, watch it, turn it, leave it, start formatted, buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it. I believe that is... Let's have the real uh, uh, technical people come on over. Oh, Lord. Maybe for the rim mic, and instead... We'll just go with the rippage. Just yank it down. Can't imagine that is what is in the instruction manual. (laughs) The official was looking for help, and he called on the wrong person. Let's put it that way. Has to call the Geek Squad in to come and take a look. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. You know, it's funny during the break, we were just talking about Ari being a sound junkie. And we all kind of, you know, except for Adam Hill, we all respect the uh, the radio equipment and the importance of microphones and headphones and good sound. Yeah, that was during the game today in the second half. And by the way, Adam Hill is with us. He's out at the uh, Thomas and Mac. Adam, did you see what was going on? Because uh, that was the TV loveliness that we got. We saw a wire hanging down from one of the baskets. It was the basket in the second half Air Force was shooting at. Clearly, it was a microphone that had been taped up that fell down. So the ref calls someone out, and the and the kid just starts yanking on it. And you can hear it's a microphone. And then Nate Kreckman's like, yeah, I don't think that's what you're supposed to be doing. And then uh, at one point, they were going to cut it. I'm like, it's that's a working microphone. <laughs> there must have been someone in the back who was like, no, no. You know how much that costs? But, yes, that was, uh, that was the Mountain West Conference in a nutshell today. Nah, nah. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching. I was watching that all go down, but you know, unfortunately, we didn't have the commentary from Nate Kreckman, which is tremendous, yeah. uh, as always. I got a, uh, I got a very expletive-filled text message from Mister Kreckman, uh, basically just like, you know, it sucks that we're all separated. Nobody can hang out this year. But yeah, I was looking down and uh, seeing him. He didn't look happy around that time, so I can figure out why now. He looked like he was uh, a little frustrated with things that were going on. It, it's a, uh, you know, it's always an adventure. I'm just trying to figure out some new things here at the Mountain West. Although that, I think, probably should have been in place from last year. 
a microphone, a new thing, yes. a microphone taped yes. to the basket, a new thing. Let's just have some kid who I believe is still one of the UNLV football managers. Uh, maybe he's majoring in radio and TV. I don't know. Uh, that was an F. Don't just yank down a microphone. All right, give us your read. Give us your read on the game. Uh, the Rebels did really a lot of things they struggled with all year long, and that was make the three, but also defend the three, and they rebounded like hell. They won by, uh, what, 21 on the boards. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's you know something you're going to expect against Air Force to dominate on the boards if you uh, dedicate yourself to it, so that's good. The three-point defense was really the key. I mean, we know that they gave up 15 in one of the games to the Air Force. They gave up 24 uh, in the two games combined, so 12 in each game. And uh, they've been struggling against the three-point line all season long. 320th is not good. That's where they rank in three-point defense in the country. There's 340 teams, so they are better than 20 of them. Uh, but you don't want to be in that position. And uh, T.J. Otzelberger has talked over and over again. And it's not just defending the shooter. I think people, you know, a lot of times think th- defending the three-point line is just about defending the shooter. It's not. There's a lot of things that go into it. The biggest thing that T.J. talks about is, you know, you've got to put pressure on the ball so they can't deliver a pass that gives the guy the ball in shooting position. Like, you've got to make it tough to get them the ball right where they want it to shoot the shoot the ball. And that, I think, is really what the Rebels did well today. Uh, that enabled the closeouts to come and, and to get there uh, and to disrupt the shot. So uh, a lot of really good things, I thought, on the defensive end. And uh, I think you could see the just the relief in T.J. Altsburg after the game when he was like, I mean, I think we've talked about it enough. Uh, it's, it's good that they've they've got it, that it you know it got through, it registered. And, uh, and that led to... You know, a, a big win for UNLV, a, a convincing, dominant win. I think the, the confidence has to be built up going into tomorrow's game against a team that is kind of opposite of that, a team that wants to work uh, from the inside out and a team that is not a great three-point shooting team necessarily. But um, a lot of the principles that they took from today's game, I think, could carry over. But just just uh, credit to UNLV's players, I guess, finally, for, uh, for listening to the message and getting it today. So I want to seize on that word you just used, Adam, convincing, because it's a team that really stumbled to the finish. They lost three of five, and the two games they won easily could have been lost if not for some late heroics. So you're convinced, T.J. Otzelberger's convinced, who's convinced that they've kind of shaken off those doldrums they had at the end of the year? Um, That's a good question. I mean, I, you would hope that the players are. Like, I think that's the key of – you know, shaking it off and moving on and saying, hey, listen, this is who we are. This is what kind of performance we can give and, and go forward and try to carry that uh, to tomorrow. But uh, you're not going to know until then. I thought it was interesting, you know, yesterday for the the pregame uh, press conference, I asked uh, I asked TJ if he liked the response uh, that his team had to getting just just playing an ugly game against Wyoming and, and the way that they ended the season. Like, did you like how they responded to that? And he said, well, they practice well, but you don't know how they're going to respond until they take the floor again. And he got his answer. They responded well. Now, you would hope that they respond well to a good performance, too, and kind of carry that momentum forward. But I don't think you really know until the game starts, so it tips off, and you see how they play tomorrow. But uh, usually when you, you can come out and play well, you know, we saw, we saw this on the women's side. Uh, not that, you know, a lot of people pay attention, but Wyoming is a team that kind of struggled through, through much of the year on the women's side. Uh, and they came out, had a really, really good game in the opening round, and they've, they've kind of carried that forward. So uh, we'll see if uh, UNLV can do the same thing. A lot of, you know, every year we see this in the tournament where, you know, a team has a good game in the first game. The team that got the bye comes out a little sluggish the next day. Uh, you know, they're kind of adjusting to the, you know, the postseason. And um, the team that, you know, played the day before kind of carries that forward. And TJ Altenberger talked about that after the game said, hey, that's what you hope. You hope you get the game under you, you get your legs under you, and you can carry that momentum forward. But, 
listen, it's only as good as, as how they feel about themselves and how they believe they were. And if they come out tomorrow and, and don't play well early on, then all of a sudden that momentum is gone. You heard it here first. Adam Hill says take the Rebels plus six first half tomorrow, right? Uh, well, I said it could go either way, right? I mean, oh, I, okay. No, I just I wanted to be, wanted to be yeah. clear about whether you've yeah. gone full tout on that one or not. Okay, so yeah. uh, I think, Adam, that this Utah State matchup might not be the worst. I think it might actually be the best matchup UNLV could have gotten here in the quarters based on what we saw in those two games that they played against Utah State. And Steve and I talked about earlier that the defense that Mbake Zhang played against Nimikeda might have been the key to those games, definitely is the key to what's coming up tomorrow. So from what you saw from UNLV today, what can they carry forward to that Utah State game? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'd, I'll, I'll just go right out and agree with you and say, you know, of the teams they could have gotten, uh, of the teams that had a bye, uh, I, I think Utah State is about as favorable a matchup as you can hope for. Uh, one is just what we talked about earlier. I mean, uh, they have not been able, to, been able to defend the three-point line, and Utah State has struggled a lot this year in shooting three-pointers. Now, they've got guys that are capable of doing it for sure and then come out and make them. Uh, but, you know, I think that is where they really get burned. And, and you're right. Zhang is, has been good not only against Keita. He really was. He's been good for a lot of the year. We see pretty much every game now he's getting a, a, a steal around midcourt, uh, interrupting the passing lanes and, and getting a dunk and sparking rallies. And he's been doing that. But really, you know, really got physical and uh, and banged with Kate in the post in that last game, got him some foul trouble in the one game. So I think, you know, listen, I think it's a good matchup that they can have. Now, the downside is you were so focused on guarding the three today, and now tomorrow you got to completely change your change course and uh, worry about the inside of what Utah State can do in the paint. But uh, I think they match up well. They played him really well both times. Uh, I think there's a lot of, of success they can have if, you know, David Jenkins shoots the ball the way he did in the second half, if Bryce Hamilton is assertive uh, on both ends of the floor, because we saw today during the 23-2 to run, yeah, he had seven points during that run, and yeah, he was getting anything he wanted on the offensive end. But during that run, during that eight and a half minutes, you know, seven points, four rebounds, two assists, a block, um, a steal, he was all over the place. So, um you know, that, that is the kind of, you know, those are the kind of performances you want to see them carry over, but it is a completely different style matchup tomorrow. Uh, I just think it's one that, you know, if UNLV is, is doing the things that they like to do and, and playing comfortably, it's a matchup that they can live with. Adam Hill's with us. Adam covers everything right now. He's at the TNM covering the Mountain West Conference Tournament, following up the UNLV victory, 80-52. to 52. They're in the quarterfinals. We'll have uh, the pregame run at Rebel Warm-Up, 5.30 tomorrow with a 6 o'clock tip. The Knights are tied at one going to the third against the Wild. Um, to the best of your knowledge, how long is this uh, Petrangelo injury going to last, and what's the impact of him being out? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's a big impact. Obviously, he's a very important player. He's getting more and more comfortable with the team, and uh, we know what he can do not only on the power play but as a, a presence on the blue line. Now, the, the the positive for the Knights is they get Braden McNabb back tonight, and I saw I was only able to tune in for a little bit uh, in the in the first period. Uh, the Knights gave up that early goal and then got the equalizer, and nobody has scored since, but – um, Braden McNabb just you know out there laying hits once again, so it's not like he's worried about being physical. Like that's a big addition uh, to get him back. But yeah, in terms of Petrangelo, it's a loss. Um, McNabb comes back, he's gone, and uh, Petrangelo comes back to Vegas. So I think we'll find out a lot more. I always stop myself when I say this. We're going to find out a lot more. We won't. We won't find out anything. We'll know <laughs> nothing. Uh, <laughs> we won't say anything. Uh, but the team will find out a lot more. Uh, over the next 24 hours or so as Petrangelo is back in Vegas kind of getting checked out and seeing uh, what's going on with him. Adam, with the Raiders, are we hearing some names mentioned, aside from the guys who uh, 
you know, they potentially have the rights to. Are we, we hear names outside of the organization for the offensive line? Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of guys around the league are getting let go and, and you know, are getting uh, are getting put on the market uh, the last couple of hours. Uh, so I think they're pretty much in for everybody. Riley Reef is, uh, is available now. But I also think, listen, this is a team that is going to be looking for deals. Like, they got rid of guys because of salary. They're not going to go out and, you know, make – big splashes to fill these positions on the offensive line. I think they're going to invest their money elsewhere. Uh, so I, I wouldn't expect it to be these big names. Like anytime a big name is, is available, everybody's like, oh, Raiders, 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 Raiders. They need to fill that offensive line. But I listen, I think they're going to be looking for that third and fourth tier of guys to maybe come in. I do believe Incognito is likely to come back. Uh, but in terms of, you know, filling that right side, uh, I, I don't think it's going to be these big splashy names that people – are kind of rushing out and, and thinking that they're going to add because why would you if you're if you're making cost cutting moves on the line uh, in, in what we believe is an effort to invest elsewhere because they've spent more money uh, on the offense than anyone and less money on the defense than anyone you would think that the the point of this is to kind of balance that out a little bit and spend money on the defensive side uh, so why would you make cost cutting moves on the offensive line only to go out and make big splashes in free agency on the offensive line it just doesn't make sense it doesn't add up. Could that money, should that money go to a guy like Melvin Ingram, who reportedly is in Vegas? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a guy you kind of circled from the beginning. And um, especially now with, you know, so many of the names that it was expected that Las Vegas was going to invest in, uh, in free agency and really make big splashes on, particularly the safeties that everyone thought was going to become available now are not available. Like they, they were pretty much all franchise tags. So uh, now you got to kind of look elsewhere and everybody knows the Raiders need an edge rusher. They need a presence defensively. Ingram, very familiar, of course, with Gus Bradley. Uh, all those things make a ton of sense. And as much as, you know, people have kind of scoffed at it, like Vegas is going to be a very, very, very uh, attractive destination for free agents. And so, I think people that they want to invest in, that they want to go after, they'll have a good chance. They'll be in the mix for. Uh, Ingram makes a ton of sense, uh, and I think that you know that would be a really, really good start to free agency. Although, you know what we heard from you know Mike Mayock last week essentially was probably not. We're probably not buyers on the first day. Like the first day is where all the big splashy free agents kind of you know make their headlines, and he said probably we're kind of in that next wave. Now they had to have a little bit more money, a little bit more flexibility since he said that, uh, but. That was kind of the caution, I think, that was being thrown out by the organization of don't expect it to be one or two big names. Expect it to be four, five, six smaller name guys that are really going to make an impact on defense next year. Adam, Steve and I on uh, Monday did our priority list of what positions the Raiders need to fill first. Um, I said wide receiver. Steve was wrong. So why don't you tell <laughs> Steve why he's wrong? Well, Let's see. I mean, first of all, I, my thought on wide receiver going into this uh, was go big or nothing. Like Allen Robinson was the guy in the circle from the beginning and said, you got to get him. Now you can't. So, that, I mean, that was the one I said, I, like, I don't I don't have interest in the Raiders going after like the eighth or ninth best wide receiver on the market. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see if they do go try to make that big splash at the top. But I also don't think that's the most important thing. I actually do think a safety to team up with Abram is a really, really important position to try to add right now. Um, they had Jeff Heath a little bit of that position last year. I just think uh, a, a more dynamic, explosive playmaker, you need that guy uh, in the system. I actually think cornerback is, is a target as well that they really need to go after. Uh, but to me, edge rusher has been what you've really, really been missing for so long. And if you can, you know, 
we talked about Ingram. There's going to be other guys available. If you could go in that direction, uh, I think that is where uh, I would be investing my money if I was the Raiders. But I, I, like we continue to say, this is going to be the weirdest offseason we've ever seen. And you know, I, I think you're going to have a lot of guys at the end of this that are still sitting out there looking for jobs. So I think you can make your team a lot better. Uh, by you know acquiring a bunch of different guys that you know are going to be kind of passed over at the beginning of this process. Adam, good job, man. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Yes, sir. There he is, Adam Hill, live at the Thomas and Mac during the Mountain West Conference tournament. Caller seven right now. Caller seven. Caller seven. Three six four eleven hundred. Another set of tickets to our um, hockey puck party as uh, Diversion Amusements is putting on the party as they've got this cool new sports viewing venue. Right here in Las Vegas. Makes sense, right? It's a giveaway on ESPN Las Vegas. It's here in Vegas. Saturday, Golden Knights taking on the Blues, and the only way to get into the viewing party is to win right here. 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller 7. The winner gets a table for four, including uh, free food and non-alcoholic beverage, uh, beverages. It's adults 21-plus uh, only. If you want information on uh, how to get into some of these parties in the future, you go up to the web, da.vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Always thinking about value, Candy. Always thinking about value. I don't know that the value is on the Rebels tomorrow. If Raleigh Wooster for Utah State is closer to 100%, I I know Kate is a gigantic key. He's the key. Wooster makes him a different team. So he played the last three games coming back from a leg injury, 30, 34 minutes. That worries me a little bit if he can be effective. He wasn't great in those last two games playing those minutes, but he's a really good player and he's a tough cover. I agree that he changes the equation significantly for them, but I think the other piece of the equation is that these teams play slow. Uh, and so yeah, yeah. if the number gets big enough, you know, if we get out to 11, 12 points on UNLV in what is going to be a slow-paced game, I think that's where the value comes from. My God, if that kid Marco Anthony hits two or three threes again with that that lefty shot that starts at his hip, that was you know UNLV's in, UNLV's in for a long night if he's hitting threes. That was, uh, by, by the way, the greatest value I ever saw out of that kid, he locked down Grant Sherfield up in Reno. I mean, locked him down. Sherfield couldn't do anything. He's tough. And he, he did it to Bryce when Bryce was playing at like 7%. Now he's a big, strong kid, a transfer from Virginia. So we're back tomorrow with the full show, and then we'll, oh, just about, we'll hand it off to the Rebel game at 5.30. Game tomorrow night.